Hey everybody, St. Paul here. Welcome to episode 20 of Music on the Run. Today I'm taking a little flight in this bad boy. But before I do that, I wanted to introduce you to our next guest. She's called the queen of percussion. Sheila E. is next on Music on the Run. Before we get started here, do me a favor. Wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe Give us a rating, and if you have time and you like what you're hearing, make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, I'm St. Paul Peterson. Prince gave me that nickname, and I've been lucky enough to tour with people like the Steve Miller Band, Kenny Loggins, Peter Frampton, Donnie Osmond, to name a few. And when I'm not playing music, I love to run. And this is a podcast about how we stay healthy on the road, physically, mentally, and with our families. Welcome to Music on the Run. Hey everybody, St. Paul here, and welcome to episode 20 of Music on the Run, my eighth interview from the Peterson Musical Basement. A lot of notes have been played down here, and I have a feeling... My next guest has a similar basement, and a lot of notes have been played down there, too. Speaking of our next guest, she is a multi-instrumentalist, an artist, an actor, and a philanthropist. She comes from a musical family like mine, was recently nominated for an Emmy, which is so cool. I can't wait to talk to her about that. Has played with everyone from George Duke to Prince. She is the queen of percussion, and she is my friend. Please welcome Sheila. Escovito, or as y'all know her, Sheila How are you, cousin? I'm good, cousin. How are you? I'm good. I'm so glad that you had time to do this. Thank you for taking the time out to uh, say hello to everybody on Music on the Run. Yeah, no problem. This is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. How's your beautifully loud family? <laughs> I know. We always go, no, yours is louder. I know. Uh, we have contests about that. I know. Uh, they're doing good. Thank God. Everybody's, everyone's good and trying to figure out, you know, how to get through and what are we doing and how do we, uh, how do we get through this? The so main thing is that we're all healthy. So that's a good thing. So you had a busy start of 2020 until COVID hit. You're on fire. How was, uh, how was the, the Grammys and, and doing that whole Prince tribute at the Grammys and congratulations, by the way, for on the Emmy. How cool is that? Thank you. Uh, everything was good. I mean, you know, it was a it was a lot to do and put together. Um, oh, sure. Good, huh? Yeah, it's, a, it's a, I have a good team of people, and it takes a village, and it was a lot, but we got it done, and uh, it was our honor to to be a part of it, and um, all of it was good. All of it was good. You also got uh, another honor from. Uh, a Berkeley School of Music. You you are now a official doctor. You are you got a, your doctorate, yeah. This is my second one. Is that right? What's where's the and other my one? Second, and my second Emmy nomination, by the way. Ah, uh, well, okay. Well, then I, we got to update your wiki, baby. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got to get my research right here. I'm a professional. Well, that's great. Congratulations on your second Emmy nod and your second doctorate. That's awesome. Yes, thank you. Well, you and I did a podcast for you. When was that? A couple of oh, years ago? Yeah. You remember that? That was like three or four, three or four years ago. Yeah, yeah. Man. But did you ever end up doing anything with that? Did you? Did you? We, uh, we did something. Yeah, we did some things online digitally, and uh, and then 
um, it was just too much going on. I was like, I don't have time right now. You have been incredibly busy uh, for, well, your entire career. Before we get into how you and I know each other, this is called Music on the Run. And really, the premise of this whole podcast really is to talk about how you stay healthy when you're as busy as you are and traveling as much as you are. Uh, you spent your entire career on the road. And you've had a couple of health issues here and there. But how do you... How important is good health to you, I guess, is my first question. Oh, without your health, there's nothing. You will not exist, and especially in these times, and especially when you get older. Mm -hmm. um, You have to work harder. Um, Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, I I try to do everything possible. I try to have some sort of balance, um, if you will. Um, I drink a lot of water. Okay. Tons of water. Well, your body is 80% water. So if you don't replenish and cleanse, it's not a good thing. Um, you know, in the mornings I have a, I have like this, this, you know, just a thing of water. Right. Right. And right now this has blueberries, cucumber and lemon. Um, but if, when you first wake up in the morning, no matter how many hours you sleep and you, before you have breakfast and you're, Breakfast is because you're breaking your fast from not eating. That's what breakfast is. You're breaking your fast. Ah, uh-huh. Yeah, you're uh-huh. educating me, yo. <laughs> <laughs> so when you break your fast and you, you have breakfast, the first thing you should do is have like a glass or two, like a literally a, a huge glass of water or two. Because uh, after sleeping all night, if you drink water, then you'll flush out all the toxins that have been sitting throughout the night, you know. So you start fresh and you cleanse with water first, and then right. you have your breakfast. Right. Um, there's little things like that that I do. You know, I love juicing. Um, okay. Fresh juice, like making my own drinks from green, from kale to, you know, with cucumber, beets, all kind of stuff. I just, I love making my own juices. So I do really well when I'm doing those juices and juicing in the morning and then having sometimes like two breakfasts, it'll start with the protein drinks, you know, or green drinks that I make at home. Right. Um, and then sometimes later I'll have maybe a hard boiled egg and a piece of toast or something. Um, salads. And, you know, again, I love fish and uh, I try to eat good. What, what gets me is after seven o'clock, then you want to just eat all the wrong things. It just all of a sudden it starts to get dark and you're like, I want some chips. I want, you know, all kind I of know. stuff. Mine is ice cream, but. Ah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it, it just depends. I mean, you know, if you try to have a balance and that's all I try to do, I, I only work out a little bit. I should be working out more. It's getting harder. I have more ailments. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. Yeah. It seems the older you get, the busier you get. I mean, you've always been busy, but. Girl, you are on fire lately. It's been so fun for me to sit back and watch all the different things that you are involved in. And it is so many different things. It's it's uh, from playing to educating to producing television shows. Just, it's just it's, it's incredible. Are you having fun, I guess, is a question. Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, it's, you know, when you you know your passion and your, your purpose and, you know, you're able to do it. I mean, 
it, it's fun, you know, so it, it doesn't, it's a lot of hard work. It doesn't seem like a job, but right. you know, um, I just enjoy it. I love, I love being under pressure and having to make something happen or help create something or putting people together to make something happen. So I love being a part of a team. When your schedule is that packed, you, you gotta be under tremendous stress. How do you deal with stress when you're, when you're so busy? Um, first of all, every morning when I wake up, um, after having some water, if Mm. not around that time, uh, I turn on my phone and I have a couple of prayer groups. And the first thing is I look in my prayer for the day from my friends are there at five 30 and, um, it's, uh, Oh, hold on. Sorry. Uh, That's um, That's part of the deal. I know. Right. It's, uh, it's not, my prayer is there every morning at 5.30. And so, uh, you know, anytime I wake up, I can read my prayer. I start with that. Um, you just kind of, you have to be present and you have to really figure out ways how to not be stressed by the things that happen just on a daily. You know, it has nothing to do with even work, just every day with, you know, everyday life is stressful and what you're going through and what we're all going through, you know, right now. So it, you just have to find, again, some kind of balance to figure out what you can do to take a minute. You know, you have to find those moments, take five or ten minutes throughout the day. I, I find myself having to do that a lot to sit back and go, okay, I need a minute. Hold on because mm. I don't want to get to that place. Hold, please. Hold, hold, please. Hold, please. <laughs> let, me just, let me stop for a minute. <laughs> Yeah, so I have to take those moments and just go outside or, you know, again, I don't watch a lot of television, but, um, you know, if there's too much stuff going on on television, even though it might be on and I'm working, I turn that thing off. It's like it's distracting. There's too much happening. And I just like it to be quiet. So I set the mood for whatever um, I'm doing or my situation, like if you come into my home or if we're, you know... um, working in the band and we're bringing other people in into the room. It starts with how you want the room to feel, which is how you want to feel and how, you know, you present that in that room. So in the room, I want people to come and go, Oh, this feels so good. Oh my God. And you hug them and it's like, hi. And you just, that helps you not to be stressful so that they're not stressful because people come into the situations a little bit nervous or they're stressed out by what they have to do or what they just came from doing or come from doing. So it's the environment. You know, when I'm in my car, people crack up because I'm in my car, depending on how I feel. Like sometimes I have on spa music or, you know, some mm-hmm. nice gospel music, but it's not loud, just like nice and calm. The room, the temperature in the car is calm. The windows are up and you know, if you roll down the window, you hear the sirens. Are, hey, do it! And and in my car, and you, oh, it's nice and relaxing. Right. <laughs> I try to do whatever I can to just right. breathe. Really. So you set the tone, and that actually gets me into my next question because that's leadership. You set the tone of how you want things to roll. Mm-hmm. Are you a good leader? Uh, not all the time. No. Um, I learn by my mistakes. Um, I, I, I think I do well putting people together. Okay. Um, and 
I think I'm an okay leader at times. And then I think when it comes to a place where you have to be really strong and you've got to push through, that's when I really like, okay, this is, let's go. We got to get this done. You know, yeah. Those times when I crack the whip, Mm. You can ask all those players that have been with me, oh, you don't want to go to Sheila E. Boot Camp. They talk about it all the time. So, yes, but I mean, I learned, you know, again, by my mistakes on things that, you know, and I, you know, things that I do wrong and I say, okay, I'm sorry, I apologize. Learn how to say you're sorry, fess up to something that doesn't work right, you know, all that stuff, you know, you learn. That's great advice for people coming up too, because you don't have all the answers. Who could possibly have all the answers? Right. And, and we all make mistakes and it is a learning. Absolutely. It's part of the journey, right? Yes, it is. Absolutely. So tell me about the Escovito family growing up in an incredibly funny, um, musical, of course, family like the Escovito family. I mean, everybody's musical. Your godfathers, your cousins, your brothers, your moms and dads, <laughs> uncles. What was that like, and how did that form you as a musician and a person? Well, you should know, having a big family, all of them being musicians, it was loud, crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys were loud, right? Your oh. mom plays everybody. I mean, you have music all the time. This is the basement where it all happened, by the way. I don't know if you heard that, but this is where I'm sitting right now is mom's basement. When she passed, I bought the house. So from 1958 until the present... This is where everything happens. Everything. Oh, that's awesome. You'll be here. I, th- I can't. Po- you may have been here in years past. Who knows? I can't. I remember. mean, I remember driving by in the front of the house. I don't know why, and I don't know if you weren't there when I came by. Something happened. That oh, was yeah. a couple right. of years ago. But I know I've been there. Um, but yeah, it's you know, like I mean, that's awesome that you have the house and that's where everything happened. I mean, we always go back to the bay to the house where yeah. we had the most fun. Where all the music and sitting on the steps and jamming and oh my God, we always talk about that duplex that we lived in. It was very small with all of us in there. Um, it was, it, it, it was interesting. Uh, interesting dynamic being, um, I guess growing up like, you, you know, watching your mom play, growing up watching my dad play mm-hmm. and being around music every single day, it was kind of the norm to just hear it. Like we heard that more so than, uh, watching television again. So having people come over, Pops had people come over and do jam sessions. Then sometimes he would have a smaller band rehearse in the living room. Um, and then again, I didn't know that they were famous. If you had Tito Point, they come over. I had no idea, you know, and then um, you see all these things happening and you're surrounded by music constantly. So you kind of pick it up, not knowing. I mean, I always say, if Pops was a carpenter, maybe I would be a carpenter. I don't know, you know. Um, but the, the flip side of it is my mom, mom's being um, very, very aggressive, crazy, uh, funny, and a tomboy and an athlete. I got that side as well. So mm-hmm. I got the musician side as well as the athletic side. Um, and it was crazy. And all of us kids jamming and playing together after a while and, you know, Pops used to get mad at us, you know, stay away, get off my gear. You know, he could, <laughs> he could tell when we were playing his drums or whatever, because we tried to put it right exactly, yes. you know, and he just knew it was off that little bit. 
Yeah, I bet you 20 bucks he did that on purpose. He said, don't touch this. That's what Billy said my father would do. He said, don't touch my bass. And, of course, Billy would sneak down, get the bass and play it and try to put it exactly where it was. That's how, I mean, it was weird, kind of like reverse psychology. Right, right. Wow. <laughs> so how did you uh, transfer from jamming with your family into playing with people like you know, Alfonso Johnson, you were just, for, for those of you who are uh, uh, just joining us, we, we, uh, we were talking before we officially started this, and Sheila was playing a little Alfonso Johnson, which is, that was your first record date, too. But how did you get from playing with moms and, you know, and the bros and all, everybody to playing with people like George Duke and Lionel Richie and all those kind of people? Um. I uh, I want to say well, my dad and I were playing at a club in San Francisco. I think oh, it's called a reunion. I couldn't think of it. Yeah, it was called a reunion, and um, we were playing there. And one day, uh, Billy Cobham comes in, and we're like, "Oh my God, Billy Cobham is here!" And so he comes in and he checks us out. We're playing, and then after we took a break, and he said, "Hey, would you guys be interested if I produced a record on you?" You know, and we're going, what? Sure. And he goes, okay, I'm going to go on tour. I'll be back in two months. We're like, yeah, okay. Everyone says that and they never come back and you don't do the record yet. So he did come back and we did the record. And that's actually how then I started expanding playing with other people because George Duke was playing with Billy Cobham. Alfonso Johnson was playing with him. Mm -hmm. It was all of these guys that I had never met before but heard about. And... That's how I started meeting them and then moving on to recording with other artists because Billy Cobham produced my dad and I for our first record. Wow. Billy Cobham, I mean, legend, legend produced you guys. That must have been something else. And so that, oh, led, that led to everything else. Yeah, it did. Yeah. And then we, and then you and I meet in 1983 <laughs> <laughs> or four. I can't remember which year it was. I suppose I didn't meet you till 84 after... Well, uh, no, it had to be eighty three. Well, it doesn't matter. No, but he was eighty three. You were you were in the Prince camp around the same time that I was, and and uh, that's when you and I met. And what I remember about our interactions back in those days were the the videotapes that we used to have to send back and forth to each other, <laughs> right? So we'd be rehearsing in Minneapolis with the band I was in called The Family, and uh-huh. you were rehearsing in Oakland. I don't uh, know. Uh, sorry, San Francisco. Okay, and so Prince had this, you know, competitive thing going on between the two of us, you and me, uh, I mean, your band, our band. So we'd send little hype videos back and forth to each other. I'm dying to see any of that stuff. So if you have any of that stuff. I do. Do you? I got it. Okay, I'm coming to see you. Well, when this is all over with, but. So- oh, my God. It's on, it's on VHS. It's a hot mess, though, because it's all warped and everything. And just, But you can see. Man, what you guys dogged us and we dogged you. Exactly. Oh, my God. I, I even drove my motorcycle inside the rehearsal, uh, inside our rehearsal at SIR, just so I could do the Prince Apollonia scene. Oh, oh see. It was hilarious. Oh. <laughs> was, was that a fun period of time? Because you, you not only, I didn't stay as long as you did, because you did a lot more playing with Prince than I did. Do you look back on that as being a fun period in your life? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, we had a blast.
We're going to break away for a second here so I can tell you about a couple really important items. Number one, we have a brand new highlights page on YouTube. We want you to check it out. It's especially made by our intern, Jake Miller, for people who don't have quite enough time to sit through the entire video podcast. It's a great way to catch up on some great tidbits of information from all of our guests. You're going to have to search for it, I'm afraid, just simply because we need more subscribers on there in order for us to get a custom URL. But it's Music on the Run Highlights. You know what else is on there, you guys? A brand new feature that we've been doing strictly on Fridays. It's called Funk Friday. Got to have a little funk for your weekend. We feature great musicians, some former guests, some future guests, and it's a little one to two minute vignette of us jamming and funking out. And it's a great way to kick off your weekend. It's called Funk Fridays, every Friday. Check it out. It's on the Music on the Run Highlights Reel. And of course, you'll find it on Facebook and Instagram as well. All right, let's get back to the interview. Yeah, we had a blast. Well, I mean, I met Prince in 77. Right I didn't when, know that. Yeah, right when he started his first record, he came mm. to the Bay Area to do his first record and uh, and then played the Circle Star Theater, which was in San Francisco slash San Carlos, uh, in, the, in San Francisco. So, um, uh, you know, to go see him play, and it was the first time, you know, I mean, I had heard about him for for so long, uh, I mean, I'd say for so long, it wasn't that long because my dad was in Santana and they were in the same studio. So, um, and there was this buzz happening. It's funny because Andre and I, I heard him talking about it when I was, I interrupted that Zoom call that happened with all. Oh, right. Playing yeah. Baseball, yeah. And, um, and I, we had never talked about it, but there was a buzz going. I was like, I want to meet Prince, you know? So it was 1977 um, that I met him and I, we became friends instantly. And, he started coming to San Francisco and the Bay in Oakland just to visit me. He would stay in San Francisco and I'd go pick him up. Then I just showed him everything about Oakland. You know, my, uh, my favorite donut, sandwich, yep. uh, movie theater, like the, uh, the, the lake, you know, in Berkeley where people are jamming. Like how I grew up watching everyone play and he just loved it. You know, he wanted to be in the same studio as Sly yeah. and his Carlos. And he, he loved Bay Area musicians, so it started from there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So here we are. Well, let's fast forward to today, and, and, and of course, Prince is gone, which is unbelievably tragic. Is it hard to be an MD when you have to do a tribute to, to Prince like the Grammys? You can't win for losing because you can't include the world. You just can't. I mean, it, it, that's got to be incredibly difficult those decisions that you have to make. And maybe you didn't have to make them all. I'm sure that you had directors breathing down your neck going, yeah, no, much be better for ratings if we did this and that. Uh, is, is that hard for you to make those decisions? Because I, I you know it must be. Well, um, I, I was asked to come in initially um, um, before uh, they had already made a bunch of decisions. So um, I came in in the middle or little towards the beginning of it. Um, and so there were decisions made and yes, I mean, it is about ratings and, you know, um, you know, there was only so much, my hands were tied and there's only so much that you can do. I mean, it's, right. it's so hard. Like, 
I'm still reaching out to people to, you know, let them know. I mean, I actually did reach out to as many as I could during the time and just saying, look, it's not going to happen. I tried and I did, you know, um, and it's, it's unfortunate, but at the same time, um, he Prince touched so many lives, you know, and he had so many different bands and who came in and out of the bands in those periods in which he had changed who he was as well and what he looked like and what the music was about and what he wanted to talk about. And so each band had a theme and, and he was influenced by those people as well that were in, in the band. So, um, you know, there were a lot of us, there were a lot of us yeah. that were influenced when we influenced him, he influenced us. And, right. uh, you know, I, I, I would hope that one day we could all get together and really do something. That was my dream and desire a long time ago for all of us to do something. And, um, you know, maybe one day we can. Well, I have to tell the people who are listening or watching that Sheila is responsible for getting the band, the family back together at your first, was it called? It was was Elevate Hope or what was it then? It was Elevate Hope back then. Yeah. So that was, I can't even remember the year, but we played the forum and it was such a celebration and a reunion of sorts. It was. To, to get that everybody was, back. It's unreal. Yeah, no, that was incredible, actually, um, because that was the first time, like, I, I wanted the revolution to come back together and play and also the family. And then I had asked Morris. Morris didn't want to do it, but I, I think Jerome came. He did. Uh, yeah. He was Jerome, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because then he went part of you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jerome came, uh, and then we did Madhouse. We did part of Madhouse. Yeah. Uh, we we had Apollonia, Jill Jones, Carmen yep. Electra, Patti LaBelle, Shaka. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had so many people. And then we, we wanted to make this, a fa- we called it a family jam. Right. And we actually had uh, Cubby Mixing, which is the guy who, he mixed all of the Purple Rain tour. We had um, Roy Bennett doing the lights. We had uh, all the people behind the scenes and the managers, the road managers, um, people who assisted. As many people as we could have from the whole Purple Rain tour was a part of that event. And it was, man, to see everybody, that was amazing. Yeah. What a joy that was. Gosh, that was amazing. And to, not only to see anybody, everybody, but to to uh, rekindle old friendships, to listen to that great music. Yeah. It was unbelievable. So thank you for that. Um, That really, that had such an impact on me and, and the group F Deluxe, the family, we, we started making records again because of that. That's awesome. That's cool. There's a lot of strong women in my family and the music business can be a boys club. Let's just call it what it can be. And you're such an inspiration to all women out there. Is it a struggle being a woman in this business? Uh, no. I'm lying. Okay. <laughs> because women, young girls need to hear how you overcame that. Because it can, I know I've got sisters and my mom, who my mom paved, you know, paved the trail for my sisters to, to be successful in this business. And I know what, it is. So I'd love to hear your story and your experience with that. Uh, it's, I think sometimes it still is a struggle. I think uh, there are times that um, 
Yeah, actually, I can't say it still is. It is because something recently that just happened uh, that I can't talk about. And um, yeah, it's a boys club, all right. Mm. (laughs) Uh, But what I do is I continue to try to respect, and I say try because sometimes things happen and you just kind of go, gosh, I'm sorry, I apologize. Um, I try to respect people and so they respect me back, you know. Um, there are, I think there are times where you kind of have to push a little bit more um, and it's unfortunate because when we do push a little bit more because we should and um, we shouldn't stand for or compromise and when we do do that, then we're called out of our names. Mm-hmm. But if it was a man doing it, he's a smart guy because, and he's going to get paid more than us. Um, it's kind of unfair. Yeah. But uh, I think it, there's still a lot of things are changing slowly, but um, there's still things that are happening definitely that need to change. And the way to get through it is, um, first of all, don't let anyone steal your joy. And so... You really have to love yourself and believe in yourself. And there are times when you might doubt yourself, which is a a human reaction. Sometimes to doubt or or maybe like, I'm not really sure. Then go speak with someone. Uh, Have a second opinion, a third opinion. Um, Do some research. Figure out if this is what you want to do. And, you know, until it feels right, you know, um, and I've had so many people say no to me. It's not even funny. So I looked at it as saying no is not because I'm not capable of doing it. No means opportunity. So if it meant that um, maybe that situation wasn't for me, but because of that situation and I went towards it, I tried to make something happen. That didn't happen, but it opened the door for something else that I didn't even realize. It went, oh gosh, here it is right here. So you have to... Um, and, and that aspect, just keep trying and keep pushing. Um, the story I tell all the time is when, <laughs> when I was a teenager, still trying to let everybody know, oh, my God, I, know, I, I want to play percussion and drums. Now I know what I want to be. I want, this is what I want to do. I want to be a musician now. Forget all the other stuff. I would go to these gigs, and all of these bands that were playing, when some of them were big bands and popular and others were not local bands, I would go on one side of the stage, and I'd yell over here, hey, can I play? Can I sit in? And they look at me like, get out of here, little, little girl, right? No, come on. I, I just want to play. Just like bugging them. Yeah. Get out of here. And I'm like, darn it. I'm going to go to the other side of the stage. So then I yell and I go on the other side. Hey, I'm, can I sit in? And they're like, hey. I said, can I play? The, yeah, come on over. Wow. I'm going to get on that stage. <laughs> Got to be persistent. He didn't give up. No. I'm going to tell my daughter who's in the music business she's in Los awesome, Angeles. awesome, by the way. Oh, you're so sweet. Oh. Yeah, yeah she's, she's, she she's is got it. killing it. She just put out a new single. I'll send it to you and we're done with the interview. It's oh. a dance single like your new single, by the way, which is uh, killing. Uh, yeah, it's great. So you, you could, at this point, you've done so many beautiful things. You could just say, you know what? Done. So what continues to drive you? Ooh, um, first 
first of all, when you find your passion and you know what that is and your purpose, you love what you get to do, you'll do anything to do it again, you know. Um, when I first played with my dad, when I realized that was what I wanted, to, I didn't know because I wasn't going to be a musician till I really figured it out at 15. Well, it's kind of the way that it happened. I knew that this feeling that I had playing with my dad and the, the experience that I had, um, I felt like this is this is what heaven feels like. Then I want to feel like that every day. This is how it feels to be close to God. Or this is now I realize this is my gift. So like I have to go share this gift. You know, um, I just keep going because I love what I get to do. I get joy from sharing my gift. I get joy from people. Uh, making them happy, you know. I always say that my one job that I have in life, the only job I've ever had, is to bless one person every single day. So if I bless that one person, just one, mm -hmm. then I've done my job. And that's all that I have is to just bless one person. If I can reach one, then I've done my job for the day. If you get more than that, amen. Um, but that's what keeps me going. And, and that has to do with if it wasn't for our fans, which I call our family, if it wasn't for our family out there, you know, supporting us and loving what we do and appreciate us. And, you know, we wouldn't have a life, you know, not at all. So um, I, I do it because I love to make them happy and I love what I get to do. All right. I remember when you and I were hanging out in LA, you invited me to go down to Pastor Bam's church. Yes. Talk about killing. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I woke up to some serious, wonderful music, wonderful word. And you're like, come on, cousin, let's go. And I'm like, uh, it's not really my thing. And I had a lot of excuses, but I'm so glad I went and you were able to expose me to that. How important is your faith in your life? Everything. It starts with faith, family. It starts with faith. I mean, I just, um, I think uh, through, through the years, I've learned so much. And one thing was based on, I thought that I was in control of everything. I thought that I could control everyone. I thought that I could jump out of a plane without a parachute and still stand up and go, I am Superwoman. Mm. You know? mm -hmm. uh, I thought that I could, you know, nothing could shake me and I'll, you know. And then um, I had a mishap with my back and my lung, and that shut me down to a place in 90 or 91. That shut me down to a place where I realized, okay, hold on. This, I didn't know that I could possibly die. And I figured out, well, shoot, I've been treating, mistreating people and the way that I speak to them like this, as mm. opposed to speaking with them, I was speaking at them. Mm. Um, I went through that phase. Woo, it was not good. And I didn't, I, yeah, and I didn't. I, I did too. Yeah, I, I you know, yeah, I, it, it's almost like I think we all, we hopefully all experienced that in a way where we learned by it right. at an early age because, you know, you say, don't put your hand in the fire, you're going to put it in. And, well, how hot is it? You know, it was hot, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I learned a lot. And I, and I realized that, again, it's like, uh, having to learn how to say, I'm sorry, why was I so angry at everyone? And, you know, it's, just, it was a lot of things. And, and I think peeling off 
the onions and talking about the things that I had gone through and being transparent and truthful and um, just trying to be a better me, you know, um, has helped me. And, but it had, it, it, it got to the point where I said, God, I can't go through this alone. I can't do this. I don't know what to do. I have not, you know, and I started talking to God saying, look, and praying and just help me be a better person, you know, um, soften my heart, help me to see the things that I'm doing wrong uh, so I can be better. And I'm still a work in progress. I mean, every day I mess up doing something, but at least I'm failing forward as opposed to not acknowledging my wrongs, you know, to make them better or right. Not trying to be right, but better. And um, so fixing that and faith, faith has done that for me. That's great. And, And for me as well. So, of course, in, in Minneapolis, we had the tragedy of the murder of George Floyd. And I have to ask you, because I've known you for so many years, and I have to tell you that there has been an incredible awakening here, not only in Minneapolis, but all over the world. How has been being a person of color, or which I don't, I don't love that terminology, but how has that affected you in your life? Um, growing up in Oakland, uh, and where I lived, a couple of places where we lived in the community, the ghetto, we called it, but we didn't call it the ghetto. Then we didn't know any different, but, um, you know, it was a, it was a thing about, uh, you had choosing either you were black or you were white. There was no in between. So it was one or the other. And then. Close to my teens, I grew up in the surroundings of Black Panther Party. Um, and later on, a couple of years later, then my dad and I got asked to be uh, to, to perform at one of their events where they were feeding the community, because that's what they were doing every morning, feeding the communities uh, there in the Bay. So we played for one of their events in, in the parking lot. Um, so to be around that, that there was constant fighting there was constant uh and fighting for peace but fighting for justice um and fighting for the rights and you know i remember going to europe and my hair was was braided you know and i was i was going to europe i'm not going to say where it was but um we showed up and this was in the 70s and showed up there and people were spitting on me and pulling my hair Mm. staring at me, calling me names. And there was another place I had gone. I was 15. Um, uh, it was another country where, you know, people were yelling at my dad and I saying, go back to your country and all kinds of stuff. It was just crazy. You know, mm. um, you don't belong here. And, and I, I kind of joke around by saying I'm one that sometimes i sometimes I get a pass. I'm on the lighter side. Um, my mom is Creole, but my mom, my grandparents, um, my grandmother was very fair skinned and my, my grandfather was middle, you know, but they're both their certificates say Negro on it, you know? Mm. So it's, you know, we're mixed and we growing up, it, it affected us. Absolutely. It did. Um, and even now it has affected us. And, um, I, it's interesting because so many people have lost their lives because of hate, you know, because of color, 
And we're not born that way. We're taught that. So it's a shame. And this is a, you know, I I feel that we have a chance right now to, um, we we are standing up and we are uh, protesting, mostly peacefully. Um, We should go out and register to vote. If you haven't, we have to make change. It's our responsibility to go and do the homework and read up on who we want to vote for, not just voting for someone to get someone else out. We really need change within the system. Everything is broken. We're on a system that has been here for hundreds of years that is wrong and it's broken and it's gotten worse. And at the same time, you know, we're dealing with with two situations. We're dealing with COVID-19, a pandemic, and we're dealing with racism and hate. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Um, it's, it's a scary moment, even for us as adults. And I can't even imagine what the kids are going through. So the pressure and, and, and things that we're going through is not, is not easy. And I, you know, um, I feel that we can make change um, together. And, uh, and I think, you know, the people are standing up, we're doing the right thing and uh, change needs to happen. It really does. How can well-meaning white folks like me um, be true allies? I mean, because I, I think there's a lot of question marks going on. We're like, how? What do we do? What I mean, th- th- I know that's what it's been going through my head, and I've been reaching out. Uh, do you have, there's no magic answer to this, so this is kind of an unfair question. However, what can we do to be better allies? I mean, the thing is, is just, you know, for every human being, we should stand up for what's right. We're human beings. Right. We were created this is my belief. Again, God created man and woman. We are human beings. And we're sitting here wanting to kill each other based on what color we are, what race, because we hate, because one is better than the other. And it's just awful. So I, I think that, you know, when I talk to my friends who are um, not of color, which I, I don't even know how you say that either. but you know, <laughs> Exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, my brothers and sisters who are my brothers and sisters, like you, you know. Period. Period, you know. Um, I don't look, again, I don't look at color until people bring it up, and now we're in this place about color. Mm-hmm. But I've known you for, forever, and I see you as a brother, and I, I think that you do what you feel is right to stand up by saying, this is wrong what's happening. And I stand with Black Lives Matter. Yes, I stand with with people of color. Yes, I stand with injustice. I, I stand against injustice. I stand against white supremacy. It's wrong. I, I stand against hatred. I stand for love. I stand for peace. I stand for righteousness. I stand for respect. You know, it's just the right thing to do. And it's not like you have to go around and say black power and this works. It's not just, it's not about that. And again, I don't have the correct, I don't have the answers other than what I've been through myself. All I know is that through this whole thing, I'm so angry. I'm pissed off. I'm sad. 
Um, I cry. I yell and scream. However, I do that. And then I pray and I ask God to help and I pray for peace and I pray for the people and I pray for the loss and I cry for the ones that have passed away. And, and it's just every emotion possible. And if you're not touched, if you are not touched by what's happening, something's wrong. Mm. If you're not touched. And that's the only thing. If you're touched by what's happening, then do something. Right. That's great advice. I mean, and that's just from your heart. Yeah. Okay, I'm transitioning because I got to be good to you. I know you've got another interview coming. I have some incredible fans of the show who help us financially and have allowed us to continue to do this through the pandemic. And I've allowed them to ask a question. Would you entertain a couple? I've got three questions for you. Okay. Okay. So Audrey Johnson wants to know, are you interested in acting again? Would you be interested in doing it? Very interesting. Yes, I do. I would like to do at least one movie. Yes. Okay, Audrey, you got that. Okay, Miles Matisse, did you and Prince record any songs that never made it onto your albums and are still unreleased? About a thousand, yes. Okay. If so, <laughs> how many? Okay, there are a thousand. And any standout memories from those sessions? Uh, that were not, um, I, I mean, they were good times, but a lot of the stuff I don't remember because we, sometimes we recorded, you know, if not one song, maybe three or four or five jams and all of a sudden they're songs. So I don't remember. And you think about that for years, every day. That's a lot. Yeah. It's all a blur. Okay. Uh, Emil said, I would love to do a track with Sheila. And I think many producers would. Does she do such jobs? And if so, how does that work? <laughs> well, call my agent. <laughs> no, you know what? It's interesting because I, um, I do sometimes do, I'll just throw it out there, but I do sometimes with con- someone will contact us on my website, SheilaE.com. Okay. And there's a request form. And sometimes we check it out. Like in a way, like, you know, if it's done correctly and we go check it out, they send us a song or want me to play want me to play on it or whatever. I sometimes do it, you know, because you never know. So you don't know till you ask. Oh, so, there you go. There you and go. my brother Billy, his philosophy is make them say no. What's the worst thing you could say? No. Exactly. Not a big deal. Say the same thing. You have a master class out right now, billboards everywhere. How do we find out everything that's going on with you? Um, all the social media, Sheila E. Drummer, uh, Instagram and Twitter and, and uh, Facebook, and the website, SheilaE.com. Yeah. Perfect. I think that's all we have for you because I know you got another interview. You know what you mean to me, and you know how much I love you and, uh, and love your family. Please greet everyone, and thanks for taking time out to do this. Oh, I love you guys, too. Thank you so much. Tell the family I said hi. Tell your fans thank you for supporting you for this uh, because this is awesome that you're able to do this and and, uh, get some information out there and some fun times and stories and experiences. It's really cool. Oh, by the way, I'm on Cameo, right? Yeah. I'm doing Cameo. Oh, are you? I'm doing Cameo. Uh, I got a lot of friends doing that. 
It's crazy. So if you want to get up and per- close and personal with me, just get on Cameo. See? And there you yeah. go. Sheila, thank you so much. Love you. I love you. Hey, everybody. Thank you. And uh, that's it for Sheila E. Music on the Run. We'll see you in two weeks. Ow! Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson. Edited and produced by my buddy, Davide Razo. Video editing by Ivan Sebastianov. And a very special thanks to the people who financially support this podcast. And remember, now's a really good time to start living the glamorous life.